My name's Norm. Norman Bates. <clears throat> Let me explain something to you. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me. And it will then take me time to get back to where I was. Understand? Take my advice, pal. Quit while you're ahead. Listeners and welcome planet earth to the 18th installment of unreal talk show part of the oops all topics network always reminding you to lose your fears and find your voice i am your host aaron scott walker excited to be with you for the next 55 minutes live tuesday october 20th on morton college radio 99.1 fm wzqc the q Follow and DM us on Twitter and Facebook at Unreal Talk Show. Email the show directly at unrealtalkshow at gmail.com. Follow and download on Podbean at oopsalltopics.com. Finally, subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. What a cold and wet last few days it has been here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I have to tell you guys, like a fat kid in McDonald's, I'm loving it. It is hoodie weather finally if i could wear hoodies year round i honestly would absolutely do it but even if it were like the right temp all year round i don't think that i could do it because hoodies cost so dang much at least the ones that i always want to get and if i'm going to buy one then i'm going to want to buy at least another one and if they're $50 then I won't buy any of them just because I don't feel like spending that much money on one article of clothing so again if I'm going to get two if I'm going to get one I'm going to have to get two and if one of them costs $50 then I'm going to have to spend $100 on two hoodies and I just can't bring myself to do that I never understood like my high school classmates that wore like $100 pair of jeans from Amber Crombie and Finch, I would ask them like what makes them worth so much and almost like none of them had an answer. Most of them would just say the logo, which to me is just not worth it. And now that that doesn't mean that I haven't splurged on hoodies before. I obviously have. I'm just not the type to buy a new one like for every new hoodie season if like the one that I already have is like already functioning and like in a good condition i do that with all of my clothes and it drives lisa up the freaking wall she is she's had to hound me to be honest the last few times that i've like the last time that i went to get new socks um i was gonna go put them back and i was just saying to myself like eh i got plenty of socks i don't need any new ones and i look back at a wife giving me just the crazy eyes like the death glare and she's just growling underneath her breath. Put the socks back in the cart. Put it back in the cart. <laughs> That's why I need Lisa. I would still be wearing the same clothes from 10 years ago 
if she didn't make me go out and buy new clothes for myself. But I honestly think that I can speak for a lot of people when I say that if something looks and acts newish, like that's a huge waste to toss it. And I just don't want to be that person. But uh, before we go much further in our show, um, I do... I do need to take a moment to speak on a tragic loss to the Walker family. Um, on October 10th, my Aunt Michelle passed away suddenly. I, I was asked by my cousin to come up with like, one memory that I would like to share at her service. And honestly, it has been like the most difficult thing that I've ever done. I think the reason is because I can't wrap my head around like a best last memory of someone who I thought I was going to have more time with, you know? Like, to know that the the memories that I'm searching through are now more like an archive rather than a live, like a live feed, so to speak. She was so much fun. Anytime that I went over to visit my cousins, she would just make sure that we were all having just the best time and making memories with each other. And she understood that that was important especially as children is is to make memories as you know especially whenever you're with your family and when she hugged you 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 just felt how much she loved you and and i'm definitely going to miss her a lot and that's why today's main segment is going to feature a discussion over a horror movie that my aunt and i bonded over but before we get into the main course of all that um, we're first going to have some current events with some in case you missed it, and then we're gonna slide on over to watch this on that. Uh, we're gonna wash all that down with a tall glass of top five. Today's list is gonna feature my top five favorite Stephen King film slash TV adaptations. <clears throat> Stephen King is to horror writing to me as Wes Craven is to directing horror. He is he's a master of his craft and someone who will always be in the discussion of the horror genre goat, greatest of all time. My love for his stories, like, really just, they go back years now, and he has put out some of the most iconic work of any writer for at least my generation. Uh, first, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Morton College, and then we'll dive straight into the action. Stay put. Hey everyone, Aaron Scott Walker here, letting you know that the presenting sponsor of Unreal Talk Show and the Oops All Topics Network is Morton College. Did you know Morton College offers 17 associate's degrees in applied sciences, 5 transfer program degrees, and 40 career certificates, including programs like forklifting, pharmacy, welding, and vet tech, not to mention the number one nursing program in the Chicagoland area. Morton College is excited to offer day, evening, online, and hybrid courses during fall, summer, and spring semesters to meet demands of busy schedules. Whether you're looking to transfer to a four-year school or to earn credits towards a career, Morton College has classes and schedules for you. For more information, call 708-656-8000. Again, that number is 708 708- Six five six eight thousand. Visit their Facebook page or visit their website www.morton.edu. Now back to the episode. 
We are back. You are listening to Unreal Talk Show, part of the Oops All Topics Network. We are being broadcast to you live on Morton College Radio, 99.1 FM, WZQC, the Q. Let us first get to the line up here with our jumping off segment, in case you missed it. To kick things off, to keep up with the Halloween theme, I Know What You Did Last Summer will soon have a TV series, and it is headed to Amazon. This comes from an article from IGN on October 14th. Amazon Studios has announced it will be adapting the 1997 horror film I Know What You Did Last Summer into an upcoming TV series headed to Amazon Prime Video. Similar to the 1997 film, the upcoming series is also based on the original 1973 novel by Lois Duncan. Amazon says that it will it has a modern take on the classic film, but features a similar premise including a group of teens being stalked by a killer after a fatal accident occurring during their graduation night. God, if that's like current events now, sorry to have like a little side track here, but like is the killer coronavirus? Like, let's be honest, either that or just like no, like no one's going to have, if you hear rustling in the background, by the way, that is Beerus. He's going through his zoomy zooms. Um... (laughs) Like, there's no graduation nights to speak of this year, (laughs) so that's going to be interesting if it's a quote-unquote modern take. Anyway, uh, the series will be written and executive produced by Sarah Goodman, who previously wrote episodes of Preacher, Outsider, and Gossip Girl. I have yet to see Preacher. It, unfortunately, was just part of the surge of great shows that all came out around the same time, like Breaking Bad was, like, really getting hot whenever it was dropped, and... I guess it would it was just stuff that fell through the cracks, but knowing that it comes from the same people that created uh, the show The Boys, another Amazon uh, Prime adapted comic book series, uh, that is probably honestly the best thing streaming right now. I will most likely binge The Preacher because I have heard nothing but great things about it. Um, but I am very very excited for this series. Uh, the Netflix uh, Scream series was a huge hit, which makes me think that this show will be like a pretty big success, uh, success too. Um, unfortunately, though, as we get something new, something great has to go away. Tis nature. Uh, this time, Netflix's F is for Family will be ending after its fifth season. Huge bummer. Uh, this article comes from Ridgely on October 1st. Yet another Netflix original is coming to an end. The streaming service announced on Thursday that the that comedian Bill Burr's animated series F is for Family will be wrapping up its run next year. The fourth season of F is for Family was released earlier in 2020, and the show has been renewed for season 5. However, it will indeed be the last as the streamer bids farewell to another animated series. Uh, if you're a regular listeners of Oops All Topics and the Unreal Talk Show, uh, you already know that Bill Burr is a favorite of ours. I fell in love with this series, and it honestly sucks to see it go. But now that Bill Burr has done a lot with Netflix up to this point, maybe we'll get a feature film of F is for Family, or maybe even like a live-action adaptation. I don't really care what it is, but give me more of this, because I need it. This show is amazing. If you haven't seen it, you you need to take some time. Basically, it's it's loosely based on like Bill Burr's childhood mixed in with like a few of the other writers' childhoods. 
Um, and it, it's based in the 70s. So basically, it's, it's about Bill growing up as a child in the 70s. Then there again goes Beerus with his zoomy zooms. And, you know, it just kind of feature, it just kind of centers around that. And it's, it's a really, really good show. So it's a huge bummer to see it leave Netflix. Well, I guess it's not going to leave Netflix, but it's not going to continue any further. Um, but like I said, maybe we'll get something else. Um, <clears throat> maybe I just need to make this like next conversation, just like an ongoing segment of its own as we have continued to cover it as the situation develops uh, we've gone over in just about every episode so far this year amc and other theaters are struggling to stay afloat during covid19 pandemic and it seems like my earlier predictions about the future of theaters may be coming to fruition as amc warns that it could actually run out of cash by the end of this year this article comes from cnbc on october 13th AMC, the largest cinema chain in the U.S., warned investors on Tuesday it is in danger of running out of cash by early 2021. Shares of the companies tanked by 7.8% in early trading on Tuesday. AMC's stock, which was marketed at uh, market value at $446 million, has plunged 44% this year. In a public filing, the movie ex uh, exhibitor said a bare movie slate and lackluster attendance has left its business hemorrhaging cash with little hopes of recouping losses in the near future. As of Friday, AMC said that it has been able to reopen 494 of its 598 U.S. theaters, but only at a limited capacity of 20 to 40 percent. The remaining theaters are in California, Maryland, New York, North Carolina, and Washington. These theaters, although only around 17% of the company's total footprint, represented nearly a fourth of the company's total revenue last year. AMC has already renegotiated its debt to improve its balance sheets this year and is exploring several ways of acquiring additional sources of attendance levels, which has fallen 76% compared to last year. And we're going to keep our listeners up to date on this as much as possible when the information comes in but from the looks of it i honestly don't see theater surviving the end of the year i really don't see it happening last episode we talked about how the lack of content for an unknown amount of time is going to be sort of the nail in the coffin for most theaters cinemark and AMC are trying like new ways to get people into their theaters by allowing you to rent out an entire theater for as little as $99, which is a clever way to get more people into your theaters and for them to feel safe about it. It's just going to be near impossible to do that with no movies coming out to help fill those seats. AMC is going to really be banking on the deal that we talked about several episodes back where we uh, where they struck a deal with Universal to have their films uh, for 17 days before streaming platforms uh, have access to it. Um, if you remember earlier in the year, because of the pandemic, Universal released Trolls, and I think they released another movie as well, which did not bode well with most movie theaters because there is a sort of an unspoken agreement amongst uh, theaters and movie studios to have access to the 
to those movies before um, they are distributed or provided somewhere else. Um, so they were able to strike a deal with Universal to be ha- to have those movies available to them exclusively for 17 days. And I really think that they're they're going to be really clinging on to that for a long time. But again, with no movies coming out, it doesn't look very positive for them. Now to up uh, to wrap it up. For in case you missed it, uh, Disney Plus now offers warnings over outdated cultural depictions in classic films. Uh, Another IGN article posted October 15th. Disney has updated their content warning on Disney to uh, an unskippable 12-second message in front of controversial movies or shorts. The statement reads, This program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then, and they're wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Disney is committed to creating stories with inspirational and aspirational themes that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience around the globe. This will probably be something that will be revisited in a later episode uh, because the article goes on to explain that although the warning is put in front of movies like Aladdin, Three Little Pigs, Clock Cleaners, The Rescuers, a lot of controversial content is still being edited out of those films. For example, Aladdin has never had a content warning up until now. However, the version that's on Disney Plus is still the same version that was on it before the warning went up. So they, there's still a somewhat uncut version of Aladdin. That is not the, I guess the offensive version. So it still gets the warning, but it doesn't have the content in which it would have been initially given the warning to begin with. Uh, For example, um, it has still it still has the it removed the there's a in the beginning of Aladdin there's a line that someone says that they're gonna cut off your ear like I'm gonna cut off your ear they removed that line from the original uh, movie and then there is like a subliminal message controversy that went with Aladdin uh, mumbling some stuff I, it, you can there's a YouTube video for it just YouTube Aladdin mumbling balcony and it'll bring it up. It's the scene where he's at Jasmine's palace. Um, but that scene is also edited out. Now this sparks the question again, why have the warnings if you're just going to edit the material anyways, from what the article shows, people are already seeing these measures as kind of sketchy. So we'll just have to wait to see how that pans out because it is important to have these disclaimers, but if you're going to claim that we shouldn't edit the material, then don't edit the material. You know what I'm saying? And that has been your update for your current events with In Case You Missed It. Darn it. I forgot to do that at the very beginning of the show. Or the, the segment. Man, that is a first for In Case You Missed It. I guess a first for everything. Maybe I'll endure shock therapy or something so I don't forget next time. Um... Thank you guys so much for being with us today here on Unreal Talk Show, being broadcast to you live on Morton College Radio 99.1 FM WZQC The Q. Next, we are going to be seeing what is out there to consume on our Watch This on That list. This week for Netflix, um, we are suggesting that everyone watch Batman the Killing Joke. 
again, it is another Batman animated film. <clears throat> this one is based on Alan Moore's uh, The Killing Joke graphic novel. This story gives the Joker his, like, Red Hood origin story, which is the origin story that most, like, hardcore fans consider, like, the most canon for him. Um, and it gives, like, a primary focus on what really is the overall relationship between Batman and the Joker. No, it's not a Halloween movie, but it's a Batman movie, and I can't not suggest it. So it's on there. You should check it out. For Hulu, uh, you need to make sure that you catch Hellraiser. Clive Barker is another brilliant mind in the horror genre, so even if you are familiar with this movie or any of his work, for that matter, it's still a must on everybody's Halloween movie rotation. So if you hadn't watched it already, get to it. Get on Hulu. On Amazon Prime, I found a movie that is perfect if you're wanting to watch a, like a spooky movie um, for like a family night. This movie is called My Teacher Ate My Homework, and one of the main characters is Shelley Duvall from The Shining, so that's also pretty cool that um, she's involved with it as well. This was originally a book out of a 13 um, children's horror, like it was like 13 children's horror fiction books that were written. It was like a 13 book series. Uh, it was written back in the 90s by a group of authors using the same pen name, J.R. Black. Um, only two of the books have been made into films, My Teacher Ate My Homework and The Undead Express. Um, I watched this movie with my six-year-old son, Adric, who is normally not on board for scary things, and he loved it. So if you're really trying to find a movie to like get your kid in the Halloween spirit, but you know he, he or she or they um, are, are just, you know, they're not apt to getting in, you know, watching spooky things check out that movie. It's on Amazon Prime. I really think that that might be like the, the doorway into getting them into watching spookier things. For HBO Max, which by the way, <laughs> my son asked, I can't remember what he was asking me if we could watch, but he's always asking me if something is available on a certain streaming service, because that's how kids are made nowadays. And uh, he's like, well, is it on Hobo? I'm like, Hobo? He's like, yeah, Hobo. Do you mean Hulu? No, Hobo. It's spelled H-B-O. <laughs> no, Adric. That's what it's called, H-B-O. <laughs> so for Hobo Max, we suggest uh, you check out the movie Us. This was a movie directed by Jordan Peele in 2019, and I honestly believe that Jordan Peele is going to be like the next big horror director if he isn't already kind of at that status already. And this movie proves that to me. Um, to bring this list to an end, though, we have our Peacock section, or selection, I guess I should say. Uh, this week, we suggest you checking out the vampire movie Let Me In. This is from 2010. I remember renting this movie whenever I was still working for Family Video a thousand years ago. And I was really surprised about how good it was. The basic plot of it is a boy who's like a misfit amongst his peers, has only like one friend, but she only comes out at night. Dum, dum, dum. So basically he is trying to figure out why she only comes out at night and you figure out why. It's a really great movie. Um, but seriously, check out all these movies if you're wanting to have like a really great spooky night watching really great movies, either with the family, with a loved one. Or by yourself. Now that we are done with the first list of our show, 
let us move over to our weekly top five list, Spooky Edition. This week, again, I'm listing off my top five favorite Stephen King adaptations of all time. Kicking this list off for us is going to be 1990's Misery, starring Kathy Bates and James Cain. Sometimes the things that scare me the most is not being able to leave somewhere or being able to call for help. And this movie triggers all of those fears and adds a fanboy that's crazier than like most Star Wars fans. The hobbling scene alone. If you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen the movie, you will quickly know exactly what scene I'm talking about. But that scene enough is it just gets me lightheaded. For probably like the first 10 minutes or the first 10 times rather that I watched this movie, I wouldn't even actually look at it happening. It's really, really hard to watch, but it is so freaking satisfying whenever he gets her back and smashes her face with a typewriter. He didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car. <laughs> that that whole movie is just phenomenal and terrifying. And Kathy Bates just puts on like the performance of a lifetime. Number four on my list is Doctor Sleep, starring Ewan McGregor. Uh, for those who didn't already know, Doctor Sleep is a continuation of The Shining. Danny Torrance is an adult struggling with alcoholism, just like his dad, after remaining traumatized by the events that happened at the Overlook Hotel. And while he's trying to like overcome all of that past, he meets Abra Stone, who also has the gift of the shine. They are like forced to team up to take on a cult that steals other people's shine, so that they, so that way they can live be immortal. It's a really cool movie, and I really like how it focuses on Danny's shine ability and gives us a lot of answers to questions that the original movie gave us. A great closure to a lot of those events without being cursed by being a sequel. Like That was what I was afraid of the most going into this, was that a sequel to a story that was written 30-plus years ago, pretty pretty shaky grounds again sequels you know don't always work out but ended up working out very very well number three the stand starring gary sinise the scariest stories again sometimes are the ones that are the most feasible and and in my opinion at least so if this movie wasn't scary to you before march of this year it's pretty terrifying now the Stand follows a group of people that, but it mainly follows Stu Redman, who apparently seems to be immune to this plague that escaped a lab, showing in the opening scenes a soldier fleeing a lock, uh, fleeing a lockdown after exposure, like alarms are going off, gates are closing, and he's just barrel straight through a fence, and boom, the exposure happens. Such a great movie. It's like 300 hours long. But again, Gary Sinise is in it, and I always thought that Gary Sinise was just a very underrated actor. And even as a kid, I think I saw that, because I didn't see him in much, but of what I did see him in, he was pretty great. So, definitely a must on, I think, any Stephen King list, especially if you're talking 
you know, if you're if you're talking books, then that's going to be a different conversation because I think everybody agrees the books and the movies or TV, TV adaptations are always going to be different, and there are those who are going to prefer the books over the adaptations or vice versa. But for me, definitely going to have to be on a top five list. Number two on my list is The Shining. Now, there are two different versions of The Shining. There's the Stanley Kubrick classic that pretty much everyone knows. And then there's the miniseries with Steven Weber that almost nobody seems to know about. And I'm really sorry to tell anybody who may disagree with me, but the miniseries for me is so much better than the Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of that book. And for a couple reasons. Firstly, the three-part series was written by Stephen King, like the actual, um, I guess, it, it wouldn't be a screenplay because it's not, a, it's a technically a TV series, whatever you call it, I'm going to call it a screenplay. He wrote, the enti- he wrote the script for the miniseries. Something about having like the vision of the book rewritten for the screen by the original writer some you know it just ensures me that like the small details that really shape the story are noticed and not thrown away secondly because the movie was longer it included so much more of the story and was overall for me again just way more terrifying jack nicholson and steven weber put on two equally as impressive uh, impressive performances for me so really it just comes down to how they're both written into existence, I guess. It's similar to Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger's The Joker. Two very amazing performances, but Stephen Weber's is the the underdog performance because nobody would expect Stephen Weber's performance to be as good or better than Jack Nicholson's. So when you see his performance, it at least gets you thinking. It, it gets you thinking, well, maybe maybe it's at least as good So I think because it's at least equally as good, but in my, my vision or my opinion, better executed is why I have it right there for me at number two. Finally, my number one is it, the Bill Sarsgaard version. Now, I know it's, it is difficult for me to choose the newest adaptation of this book over the Tim Curry version. However, both chapters of the reboot just accomplished so much more than the original did. Again, both Tim and Bill performed equally as amazing, in my opinion, but this story was made to be told with grand effects and grand effects that that, that make this monster just larger than life because that's what Pennywise is. He's larger than life. And to make him just more than a scary clown. Plus, Bill Hader is in Chapter 2. And I have to support a fellow Tolson, right? Not many of us are able to escape this hellhole. So I will always support someone who does. Do you disagree with my list? Do you have one of your own? Email us at unrealtalkshow at gmail.com and share your thoughts. Tell me if you have a top five favorite Stephen King adaptations. Do you prefer the books over the movies? Let me know. I want to know these things. I want to know what you guys are thinking. Excuse me. Now that we are finally at our last discussion of the day, um, today we are going to be looking at the classic movie, The Exorcist. 
as I talked about in our intro, not only is this movie one of my favorite horror films of all time, but this was a movie that my late aunt and I bonded over, which may seem weird for us to bond over a story of a girl being possessed by an ancient demon, but we love movies in our family, and, and this movie is no exception. And my aunt even took me and my cousin to go see this movie about 10 years ago. I was thinking about it before I... Um, before I started recording today and I'm pretty sure it was 10 years ago it might have been a little bit more but it was during the Halloween season of that year and for those who have seen it you already know this movie was just as terrifying then as it is now the movie is based on a book which was inspired by a real-life exorcism William Peter Blatley wrote the book in 1971 and it was based on the 1949 Maryland case of a 13-year-old boy known only by a pseudonym, uh, Roland Rowe, R-O-E. The boy was suffering from inexplic uh, an inexplicable ailment after the death of an aunt who had introduced him to a Ouija board and started presenting extreme signs of demonic possession. The boy is said to have undergone about 30 exorcisms, many of which he pretty much only... The only thing that happened was him succeeding in breaking free of his restraints and becoming violent towards the people who were performing the exorcism. And although we love the book and movie now, the book initially was a failure. It was only saved by like a last second invite to the Dick Cavett show. And because it was on that show, it launched the book into the New York Times bestseller list. One aspect of this film that I find really interesting is that nobody who was making this film considered it a horror film. William, uh, William Peter Blatley, that name is really tricky to say, um, William Peter Blatley, uh, he said that he saw it as a supernatural detective story, um, while the director of the film, uh, William Fried, Friedkin, yeah, Friedkin, uh, said that he said that, uh, I know that is considered by many great people, by great many people, as a horror film. I never thought of it that way, and I didn't approach it that way. It's a story about the mystery of faith. And even Linda Blair, who played Reagan, said that anyone who thinks that this movie is a horror film is wrong. But how can this not be a horror film? Like, how, how do you not immediately see this as a horror film? For so many of the core people who made this film a classic to not see it as a horror film is crazy to me. Because even if you never heard of this movie, 15 minutes into it, it feels like a horror movie. Even in the process of making this movie, it seems like some supernatural forces were involved along the way. So even the process of making it was somewhat of a horror story within itself. So the fact that the cast and crew never felt, at least the core people never felt at any point in time they were making a horror film just blows my mind. The film was, it was just filled with so many strange tales of like accidents and things going just completely wrong. On one day, one of the sets completely burned down for no apparent reason. Because of this and like other set troubles, the movie took twice as long for the film to be recorded along with doubling the initial budget of the film. 
along with the set burning down, both Linda Blair and Ellen Burstein suffered major back injuries. Ellen's back injury was permanent. She permanently broke her back. And it was during the scene that she was thrown into the wall. You can hear screaming from her when that scene happens in the movie. And it's legitimate because she broke her effing back in the process of making that film. The director even tried to bring a reverend in to perform like an exorcism on the set because of all the stuff that was happening. But the reverend apparently refused saying that it would only increase the anxiety of everyone on the set as it was. And that's, and knowing that stuff is for me like the most interesting. And that's, it's part of the reason why I do this show is because I thoroughly enjoy being a part of the behind the scenes process. I really enjoy learning about the little nuances of everything that happened while making the film. My dad was never really for any of that stuff. So, and I always kind of felt that interesting. I remember when we were, we were at my aunt Michelle's apartment a long time ago. I was, it was whenever Star Wars episode one had come out and they were going to be showing the film on, I think like tbs or tnt something like that and in between the film they were going to be doing behind the scenes stuff and i remember pointing to my dad saying dad like we should watch that 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 looks really cool and he said that he didn't want to watch it because to him once he re-watches that movie that's all that's going to be that's all that he's going to be able to see which for me was like the first time that i guess i realized there was two camps of people whenever it comes to knowing like the means behind the magic of making movies to make the exorcist as iconic as it is the director himself went through some like really interesting ways to capture what would eventually become a classic film and that stuff interests me a lot first off he would often shoot blanks from a handgun without any warning just to make sure he got a genuine shocked reaction out of his cast members even going as far as slapping William O'Malley who played Father Dyer just straight across the face and attempt to generate a more like solemn reaction during the last right scene which was the scene where at the very end spoilers again me spoiling stuff on this show is not really going to make me feel that terrible and that's just because especially with this movie it's been out for 30 plus years if you haven't seen it by now I, I don't know what to tell you, but in the final scenes, whenever the priest throws himself out of the window and then Father Dyer comes out, you know, realizes who it is, his shocked look on his face is genuine because the director slapped him straight across the face and yelled, action! <laughs> like, and I think that that is interesting. I think that that is, like, really cool to know. Uh. And, and given that everyone on set, again, felt that they were making something other than a horror film, once the movies, once the movie arrived in theaters, there was just a huge shock and backlash. The film was given an R rating rather than an X rating, 
pretty much in the hopes that it would increase like box office numbers something that stirred some controversy even at that time because it was being seen as the u.s rating board giving like like them being like really kind to warner brothers and helping them get more box office numbers even though in most cases that film would not have been given only an r rating it would have been given an x rating which if you know anything about uh zach and mary make a porno the film from kevin smith was pretty much the the big issue that he was having with that film an x rating can kill your ability to be able to advertise to be able to show in certain theaters so the fact that they gave them the ability to sorry i blinked out for a second uh the fact that they were able to give them the ability to have an r rating rather than an x rating really did help them and it seemed to work if you adjust for inflation the exorcist was the highest grossing rated r film of all time up to about like five years ago or so I, i'm not 100 percent certain but i'm pretty sure deadpool um might have beaten out for being like the the most the highest rated box office or rated r movie of all time now while this movie was in theaters it was reported that a number of cinema goers suffered physical reactions after watching the film for the first time. There were several reports of people fainting and even vomiting from the from the experience, and they were even experiencing cardiac arrest just within like the first few weeks of the film being released. Theaters started even providing like exorcist vomit bags with every ticket purchased, and even one ticket buyer sued Warner Brothers because he fainted while watching the movie and after he fainted he fell and broke his jaw what if would i have sued hmm i don't know i probably would have because i i know that i wouldn't have the money to pay for reconstructive surgery but should i be able to sue warner brothers for that I don't know. You tell me. Send me an email. UnrealTalkShow at gmail.com <laughs> I seriously don't know if I would have uh, if I would have sued them or not, but he did win. Uh, I think they settled outside of court for an undisclosed amount. And the film affected so many audience members that many theaters had to even call the paramedics to treat people who, again, were fainting. Others were just going into hysterics and after all of this the film started being banned in several countries including the uk which the movie wasn't allowed in the country until it was re-released in 1990 in like a remastered uncut version uh, but because of the band uh, or the band not the band because of the band uh, while it was still in theaters uh, there were like exorcist bus shuttles that were that would like pick you up and take you to a town that allowed the film to be shown which seems to be like a really smart clever way to get around that um however even with all of the controversy of the theatrical release and the struggles of filming the exorcist was still like a, a huge hit both in the box office and as a work of art the film was nominated for best picture and linda blair herself was nominated for best supporting actress before it was widely known that 
the winner of that award, best the best supporting actress award of the previous year, was also responsible for the demon's voice in the film. But because like the Academy, I guess, has rules that once they give a nomination to somebody, they can't undo it. So because of that, people started looking at it as Linda Blair was taking credit for somebody else's work and she was trying to get uh, an Oscar nod because of it and and that really just kind of ruined her chances of winning interesting enough about Linda Blair just a quick side note and also two side notes here okay so going back real quickly to Linda Blair saying that she doesn't that she it's not a horror film if she truly believes that why does she go to horror genre specific conventions and i know this to be for a fact i know that she does these things because a i'm a nerd and two (laughs) and two um as i've talked about previously on probably the first or second episode at least um my family and i have been to the dallas fan expo uh we we went three times we were going to go this year obviously because of coronavirus it's not going to happen I'm going to take a drink of my tea. Excuse me. But while we were planning on going on going to the one this year, there was one there was another convention happening other than the Dallas Fan Expo the same weekend. And it was like I said a horror genre specific convention and Linda Blair was slotted to be there. That rhymed. <laughs> Dang it! I can't stop myself from pointing out whenever I rhyme in sentences. I don't know why I can't avoid that, but I can't. Um, But anyway, Linda Blair was going to be at that event. So if it's not a horror film, why does she go to horror-specific events? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, But secondly, not really fair to i mean who who set linda up for failure on that because i bet she was really excited to get a nomination for best supporting actress she's not the one who went about misrepresent you know it's not like she misrepresented herself on a ballot it's not like she marketed herself to the committee as every aspect of this character i'm going to go ahead and assume that the committee the people involved the powers that be were the ones involved in figuring out what her contribution was to this role and it's credited like i'm pretty sure it's credited and even if it wasn't credited again it's not like Linda Blair had any sort of choice in that. And it's not like Linda Blair didn't have an amazing performance in that movie. She's still physically present. And whenever she's not the demon, she still provides a really great performance. So, I, I, I don't know. I just think that that's kind of unfair for for that to have happened. But I guess regardless if she won or not, 
uh, it clearly put she clearly put up an iconic performance and it stands the test of time we still love that movie or at least i still love that movie it's it's just absolutely terrifying and to to know that linda blair didn't really get her just due on that show is pretty frustrating within itself to know but i guess really that that's just a nerd's opinion about the film but i mean were they gonna because if you didn't know this already just a fact about the film like the scream of the demon being thrown out of linda blair is was actually created by recording squealing pigs being driven to the slaughter so would they use i mean obviously like that's a stretch but that's just kind of part of my point is that just because it wasn't her doing the voice doesn't mean that she herself didn't put on a good enough performance to be nominated i mean she literally almost broke her back for this movie so what does somebody have to do to get a shout out ah i mean I guess if anyone who broke something on set got nominated for an Academy Award, Tom Cruise would be nominated every single film he ever does. It's really cool that he does his own stunts, but good God almighty. Have you guys seen... I'm, it's the newest Mission Impossible movie. I know that. I just don't remember the name because who cares at this point <laughs> um but there is a clip where he is jumping for, he's parkouring from one building to another well he slips on the the jump and then whenever he lands he just like shatters like just completely shatters and breaks his leg and you see it in the movie it happens like he's like you know hobbling off and you don't see the leg in that shot but if you were if you were to go onto YouTube, you would a hundred percent see the side shot of his leg just contorted. I guess that, I guess that what that's what makes him a good actor or a great actor. Is he a great actor? I don't know. I, eh, I say Tom Cruise. Eh, he's a pretty good actor. God, I'm going on a rant here. <laughs> and as much as I would love to keep ranting about Tom Cruise and even more importantly keep ranting on about the exorcist the clock is telling me that it is time for me to pass the radio torch to your upcoming host jason edgar i would really like to take a moment to thank you for being with us today i've really enjoyed this episode it was a lot of fun for me to make um and i really enjoyed you being with us today to experience it thank you for listening on Morton College Radio, 99.1 FM, WZQC, The Q. Remember, you can follow or DM us on Twitter or Facebook at Unreal Talk Show. Uh, I did create a Facebook account. I know that Jason Edgar is not on, on the Facebooks, but I went ahead and created a Facebook because I do use that a lot, and it's pretty helpful. So if you would like to reach me on either platform, you can do so, or you can email us your thoughts and ideas, or feedback, criticism, hate, I don't care, at unrealtalkshow at gmail.com. 
Follow and download on Podbean at oopsalltopics.podbean.com. Subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is Aaron Scott Walker signing off, reminding you to always lose your fears and find your voice. And I will see you guys on the other side. Later.